You're listening to a DM podcast. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Likes. I have one of my favourite people here with me again. <laughs> Sean Ashcroft. Not my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sean Ashcroft. I'm cosplaying as a straight man. Is Sean Ashcroft a straight man? I'm fucking dying. <laughs> this is my old director when I worked in TV production. I think the lights and the cameras. I know you know my name, I so know I'm your not name. pissed. I'm not pissed. Sean Zepps, guys. Also, not- it's right in front of her, everyone. <laughs> it's literally right in front of her. The size of the table. <laughs> I would normally um, start the podcast again, but that was too good. Yeah, I, um, keep it, I keep am it. such a schmuck, I tell you that much. <laughs> Sean Zepps, how are you? I'm really good. You are looking so beautiful today. Thank you. Um, I asked him if you did the the, the, the curly, curly girl, girl method. method. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, but I've never seen your hair so curly before. So for the longest time, actually, ever since you've met me, I have been straightening it, hand curling larger chunks so that I could be in control of it. Yes. And like nine or ten months ago, I just got lazy and was yeah. like, I'm no, I'm just gonna let my hair go natural. Mm-hmm. And now I just wake up like this, take some mousse, scrunch, scrunch, so it stays like this. So thank you. This is gonna uh, encourage me to keep going. Yeah, it really is. I remember somebody saying to me, Oh, you know, you should really embrace the curls and blah 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 and so I actually looked into the this whole curly girl method right Mm. like it's it's a it's a big community right absolutely it's a lifestyle though and I had a look at all the products and there are so many products and one of my girlfriends she used to come to my mum's group was like you have to just absolutely you basically have to make your hair greasy like that's how much conditioner curls need yeah and I understand that because I am dry as a fuck like I am a reptile from my skin to my hair everything is just so dry and so in order to get like really juicy curls like what you have do you just apply it with conditioner I actually do it I only shampoo and conditioner once a week I don't touch it outside of that I'll do a sea salt spray the first two days and then I stop because you don't want sea salt spray most of the products you don't want them in your hair every single day and then I'll use some type of like curl gel or curl mousse on like the third or fourth day and that's what this is uh, and I love that you four. put a side part. Yep. I do hey, a side hey, part hey, too. Hey, it hey. looks so good. It's inspired me. I actually am like looking at your hair quite envious thinking I might go oh. home and buy some curly mousse. Yes, that's what Check I like to see. Out, yeah? Curl brands, reach out to me. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to uh, collaborate. Yep. How are the kids? The kids are good. Yeah. I say good with like a question mark uh, exclamation point because we're still in the process of transitioning into kindy. You know how that takes time? Oh, it takes so long. Term two, it was like we started all over again. It was like term one hadn't even occurred. (laughs) I think they went to kindy, came home, and they thought that was it. Yeah, they do. And then they're going back to term two, and they're like, wait, this is forever? I actually found with Charlie, term two harder than term one. 100% with Cooper. Yeah, 100%. and I feel like with the first term, they're like, this This is really fun. Like, this is yeah. kind of fun, and but this is also a bit nerve-wracking, and I'm really tired, but, like, when is this going to be over? And then they have school holidays, and they're like, finally, it's like yeah. we're done. Yeah. And then the realisation that term two is here and it's they have to do it all over again, it's that meltdown city. Yeah. I guess I just didn't expect Kenny to also be, like, this intense. The teachers are wonderful, uh, absolutely amazing, mm. but I guess I just – honestly wasn't 
prepared for how much they needed to learn the homework that's coming home when they're falling behind, like what they're falling behind on. I'm like, oh, I thought kindergarten was, I remember kindergarten being like red, orange, <laughs> yeah. my name is Sean, S-E. And if you yes. got it wrong, they're like, that's okay. <laughs> that's Now right. it's like, you're falling behind, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I did a podcast with Lisa a few weeks back, literally about the the stage of the school mum. It's like giving birth all over again. So mm. like when you first become parents, that's a new chapter in your life. Yes. And then the first five years is over and then you start school and that's a whole nother chapter. Whole new identity. And I thought kindergarten was like they do ring a ring a rosy and they pick daffodils and no. like um what's that lady's name off Matilda? Like really sweet um kindy teachers. And they are really sweet. Yeah. But it's it's nothing what I envisioned. Mm. My expectations uh, have been absolutely shattered because they're exactly the same. I had to get Charlie into tutoring because yeah. she she wasn't reading up to the level that she like. She, everyone was at level ten and she was at level three, yeah. and she needs tutoring, but she misses out on the mini lit program. And then there's the mums, mm. and there's politics, and I was like, this is not. What I was the expecting. pressure on you mentally. I had to call my mom about it because I was like. It's really, they don't prepare you and it's not their job fully, but the teachers don't consider the fact that a lot of the feedback that you're getting, the weight goes immediately on you as the primary caregiver that you're failing your children. Oh, yep. And I don't want them to have to constantly pause every time they're providing any feedback at a child and be like, just remember, this isn't your fault. And just remember, I'm just giving you this update so you're understanding. But instead, what I'm doing is I'm constantly going home after each of those conversations and feeling like, I'm failing them. I'm not doing enough. I'm mm. too focused on work. And because of that, my children are falling behind. It becomes a me, me, me problem. Yeah. Instead of like, well, what are you doing as the teacher? Uh, isn't that why they're at school? But I, instead, it's just me sleepless nights going, I'm failing my child. And he's just a five-year-old beautiful boy. Oh, honestly. And I had, when Charlie was in kindy, that was when we went into lockdown with COVID. Oh, wow. And they, her teacher would send all this stuff home. And I had a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. And I could not give Charlie 10 minutes of my time like yeah. Bobby would set the house on fire yeah, yeah, yeah. and Kobe and I remember her teacher saying to me you know you just gotta you're, you're purely there to just survive right three kids at home don't even worry about homeschooling her mm. and so I did the best that I could but because of that she was at the bottom of her class yeah. and I, that like ate away at me and I, it did it fell on my shoulders and Ryan was you know working tucked away upstairs and none the wiser, but I, I couldn't give her any more. Yeah. And it, it is, it does. It, it, you, it makes you feel like you're failing them as a parent. But yeah. I went back to um, when Bobby started school, they were like, they come to school to learn mm. and they come to school to get their education. Mm. The homework stuff outside of that, that's just an added bonus. Added value. Right? That's what they say. You don't have to do it. That's right. And so Charlie, I, it, trying to get her to do homework is like pushing shit uphill. Yeah. She is not interested. Mm. My second child, I want to learn, mum. And I was like, wow, this is <laughs> chalk and cheese, but yeah. this is great. Yeah. So I, you know, I encourage Bobby to learn as much as he wants. And I just, I try and read with Charlie. But it is, it's... You take it on yourself and you feel like the onus is on you in yeah. order to make them super intelligent, but it, it's not. Yeah. I'm at that point right now. I'm sure you've gone through this where I'm like, do I need to make major sacrifices for myself, my relationships, my friendships, and my work so that I can dedicate even more time than I already am to ensuring that both of my children are up to speed? It's a comparison Olympics. It's a constant yeah. game of these other parents who don't work as much or at yeah. all who 
are able to do the homework every single day and run flashcards with their kids and are seem to be a step ahead, right? Yeah. You only need to hear one kid at one playground play date doing times tables and all of a sudden you're like, what? Oh yeah. We're still working on 20. <laughs> we are, we're just working on that first part for you to go, wow, do I need to rearrange my entire life to ensure that they don't fall further behind? Like that's kind of the state of mind I'm in right now. Yeah. I, listen, I have, I've got girlfriends and Charlie and I are reading like very simple books and we try a couple of times a week. Uh, and then I've got, she has girlfriends who are literally reading Harry Potter. No. Um, <laughs> I, I struggle to get through Harry Potter books, right? Yeah. To be honest, like they are incredible. And they're the same age and then mm. she's reading Harry Potter. But you've got two teachers teaching their kid and I, most nights out of the week, are on my own from until 7.30 p.m. And yeah. so my mum was like, the other day, she was kind of, I know she was, it was coming from a good place and she was absolutely trying to help, but she was like, you know, you need to sit down and you need to, sit them down with you and they need to do, you know, 35, 40, min- 40, 40 minutes of homework each afternoon. I said, cool. I can't control my three-year-old at the moment. Yeah. So how if they're trying to do homework, Kobe will be like swinging from the lampshades like a banshee. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you give him your phone and put like a show on? I said, and you think the other two are going to do homework when Power Rangers is playing on the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pig's bum no one's going to do anything like no. and then they and then there's going to be fights over the mobile phone and and the same breath i'm also needing to be preparing dinner yeah, exactly. and bringing in the washing and i just can't i cannot physically do it all so mm. we're just going to write off primary school yeah i think so yeah wait until they're a little bit older it'll be a lot easier when all three of them can sit down together and exactly. do work with you while you're cooking or you're doing your own work exactly right that's another thing i also have my own stuff to do my own emails to do yeah um so it is it's a lot I am it's right there with you. Makes me feel better. <laughs> um, what about Stella? Is she, how's yeah. she going? She's loving it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think she had a conversation with my mom last night. So much of who our children are, it's like out of our control, right? They Absolutely. just come into the world as like defined creatures. Yeah. And that's really great for us as parents to yeah. acknowledge that. My daughter has what I have, which is a desperate desire to impress, to please. She loves to listen. She loves to be the first to raise her hand. She loves to do homework. She loves to just be a student. And so someone like her will just shine probably for most of her academic life. And the teachers even kind of said, you're good to go with this one. And I think that's nice. But also there's... You can also fail those kids because what yeah. you're doing is you're focusing so, so intensely on the other child. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to really balance it out. We we do the, what your mother is suggesting, which is we sit down together. Again, I have two kids at the exact same age and the exact same grade. Yeah. Much easier. Yeah. So they are sitting down and we're all doing work together. Yep. So I have my laptop up yep. and I'm helping them do their homework at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I have to really challenge myself to praise equally, but also be tough on both of them equally. And if I'm spending 10 minutes really trying to work for him to master something, I'll just pick something that might be a little bit further ahead for her and work with her on that. Yep. So that she's not constantly feeling like this is easy for me. My parents don't help me as much. I'm expected to do more. I think that's what I'm focused on with her is maybe not overlooking her just because she's where she needs to be. Yeah, of course. And let me ask, are they in the same class? They're in separate classes. Did you ask for that? We did ask for that, but it was because it was suggested by the um, preschool. Yeah, no, I've heard this. Mm. um, Bobby's got uh, twins in his kindy and they've also been separated. Yeah. I know a lot of twin parents, obviously, because of what I do online, like they end up finding me. And it seems pretty divided. Like there are a lot of twin parents who acknowledge that that special bond between those two kids is one in a million and and why not nurture it if they can 
I think the best practice currently is to enroll your children in the in the conversation. How yeah. do you feel? Do you want to be together? Yes. But for us, the preschool was like, we're noticing that Stella is constantly looking after Cooper and yeah. that's actually going to cause problems <clears throat> for her in this world where she actually needs to figure out who she is as an yeah. individual. And then he is reliant on her that's, as a protector. Yes. And so dividing them and putting them in separate groups is going to be mutually beneficial for both of them. And they have both absolutely grown and changed when they're apart so much so that we have now introduced in our parenting ways to separate them more yeah it's so beautiful that they're twins they'll always have each other but in some ways that can be damaging and figuring out who you are as an individual absolutely in the playground they'll have each other if they need each other and stuff and i think uh, i mean i'm not a twin but i feel like the twins that i do know they have such a deep deep bond Mm. that um they'll always find each other when they need right but it is important to let them find their own little identity you know in in separate ways Mm. Oh, that's really awesome. it's such an interesting experience yeah, like it's such a gift i think a lot of people look at us and they say double trouble or oh it must be so hard and i try really hard to rewrite that narrative yes it's harder in the beginning for sure but yeah. that changes after about 14 or 15 months because they have each other and that's a real gift i get to really back up in a lot of ways and like yeah. let them do things together <clears throat> and i feel like one of the more interesting things about boy-girl in Mm. particular is getting to experience gender through the lens of these young humans, how the world treats them differently, Mm -hmm. uh, how they treat each other differently, and specifically watching the fact that Stella is further ahead in many ways, and that is normal. Girls develop a lot faster in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And because of that, she's taken on this mothering role in this relationship, which is beautiful and natural, and it's an instinct, and it's innate, but also in some ways, it's like, we're applying that pressure that women experience into adulthood, which is take care of the boys because they're dumbasses. (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. She needs to flourish without the constant need to look over her shoulder and check in. And he needs to figure out how to do shit for himself. Oh, it's so true. (laughs) Even Charlie, Bobby and her are not twins, but she is very much like the mother hen of both boys. Mm. Like if if I've blown a gasket and stormed out, she will step in for me. And she's like a little peacekeeper. She's a peacemaker. She comes at them with like the patience that I'm lacking and uh, (laughs) really kind words. And she's just such a beautiful, beautiful, nurturing little soul. Um, And more often than not, sometimes they'll just go to her. They'll Mm. They'll go to Charlie when they're upset. Um, She's going to be a teacher or a therapist or a CEO or something. These skills are, you know, I don't know. Okay. The real reason I got you in here is because you have written a book. I wrote a book. You've written a book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am not going to make this podcast about me, but I am also writing a book. I'm only at the beginning though. And it's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. And it's a time consuming beast. Talk me through it. Did you decide that you wanted to write a book or were you approached by a publishing house that thought that you were just a fantastic human that needs their story told? How did it work? I was approached by a publishing house. Uh, They had heard a conversation of mine um, on no filter, the mom Mia podcast. And then because of that conversation had read a bunch of articles that I had written. And then she followed me on Instagram and sat dormant for like a year and just was observing, like reading all the captions. So she reached out to me and was like, you're a a writer for sure, which I have always known about myself. That is a big part of what I do. 
And she was like, let's work together to figure out if there's a story that can be told. And so that early part of the process, probably about six months, was just figuring out what book, like, you know. Or what to write about. Yeah, like, is there a specific story that needs to be told that doesn't exist? Is there more of a passion project? Is it a personal story? Is it advice? And so we went through a really big kind of like outline process, narrowing down a bunch of concepts that went through like internal polling, basically, like they work through a bunch of people in house to see like, do we think that there is a need for a book like that? Yep. And then, yeah, well, once the outline was approved, I started writing and I was given um, six months to write the first manuscript. Yeah. And... Yeah. And did you, um, that's, that's actually quite a short amount of time. I've actually been given longer. Um, it's different for everyone. I've had friends who only got three months. I have friends who got a year and a half. I think yeah. it depends on when they think it should be published. And that's then also right. your training, like, because I, at, at the time were, was a writer and had yep. so many articles, I think maybe they put higher <clears throat> expectations than was yes. true. Yeah. Cause I actually didn't have that. I, I wasn't able to to deliver. <laughs> so well, you have delivered because I mean, hey, it's the here, book, but it took longer than expected. And would you write like certain amounts of chapters and then send it over for review? We actually waited until it was completely finished. Oh my god, no way! Which is a unique part of the process. That is a unique. And did you write every single word? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody else about um, this book thing that I'm doing and someone said oh, are you writing it or are you getting a ghost writer? A ghost writer, yeah. What the hell's a ghost writer? Oftentimes if someone is very well known like uh, too they'll, busy, yeah, to too busy or maybe they're just not a great writer but their story's compelling oh. uh, they get a ghost writer there are a ton professionally I know two that follow me who for a living will sit down with someone and they'll basically interview them fully record it and they'll write their story the author and is still involved. Like they still are able to review and that's not true or this is perfect, but it's just written by someone else in your voice. And then the public is not usually made aware of that. So it happens. Gotcha. So you would have like a phone conversation with a a writer or like face-to-face interviews or zoom uh, calls. And then they would just go off and write it. Yeah. It's like an industry. Most people aren't fully aware of that. That would be so much easier. Yeah. Um, And I think for some people that's probably perfect. There are so many people who have amazing stories but don't actually have training to write and so maybe it works for them yeah I think the part that I struggled with and I'm I mean I'm not a qualified writer or anything but I've always my whole love life I've loved writing yeah and I no I'm not professional but like I I love storytelling yeah and it's not neat and tidy and it's usually raw and there's loads of swear words and it's um whatnot but I have never, I've never really backed myself. So I remember when I um, got approached, I was like, I I love to write and I can write till the cows come home. But my biggest thing and what you've just referenced is working out what to write about. Mm. And I, you know, I struggled with that. I sat on it for so many months because I was like, I I don't want to do like a parenting book. Like there is a bazillion parenting books out there. Um, So it was interesting just trying to come up with a topic. But how did you come to – is yours like – are we allowed to talk about it? Yeah, we can talk about everything. Oh, my God. Is yours like a memoir? Is it an autobiography? It's definitely a memoir. So the original concept was – when you're a queer parent going on the parenting journey, there's not really a script that you can follow. The script that exists is a heterosexual one. All the parenting books, all the doctor, first GP meetups, 
is very focused usually on the woman, on a mother. Mm -hmm. And the script that exists for how you parent with another partner who does what is pretty black and white. And so the original kind of concept was what happens when the parenting script that's like 10,000 years in the making doesn't work for you. Like you can't see yourself in it. And so throughout my journey of parenthood, and we talked about this last time I was on, I had to like rediscover who I was within, like through the lens of this mother, father. And what role you were going to play. Yeah, like who am I? What part am I going to play? Am I the mom? And so, yeah, that was the original idea is tell your story from start to finish your whole parenting journey. So the Mm -hmm. surrogacy process, moving to Australia, raising the, the kids' twins through the lens of being queer. But what ended up happening through the writing process was a realization that my childhood made up such a fundamental part of, of how I parent today. Raised Roman Catholic, uh, a young queer kid in yep. a small town USA in the, growing up in the 90s um, when getting married and having children was literally not legal or allowed. So when you are a child who grows up in that world, which is you and me and everyone probably yep. listening to this would have been aware of that not existing, how does that impact the way you parent today? So it is my story from the start and finish of meeting Josh and falling in love, but you get the, the backstory of my childhood um, in every chapter. Oh my God, I am so excited to read it. I watched a video that you'd put on your Instagram and I think you were recording your audiobook. That's right. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, is that like, so you're reading it and you're just, being really vulnerable with all of your emotions. Like it was so emotive. It was I was hard. like, oh God, <laughs> was it hard to read it? Yeah, it was really hard. It was hard to write it. I don't know if you're experiencing this, but going back into your past and specifically when you're going back into your past, when trauma was experienced, yeah. it, they don't prepare you for that. They don't provide you with a psychologist, right? You, you're doing this by choice. You're but like for me, digging it all yeah, up. you're going very deep. I had to have insanely, uh, difficult conversations with my mother and my father and my brother and my sister. I write very deep and private stories about my childhood that yeah. without a concern in the world about how that was going to impact other people, you have to just live in that moment and be real. And I was in therapy while it happened, but that was really hard for me. I would sit in the library. I wrote, I wrote the whole book in Merrickville library. I would just be sitting in the library, like sobbing and having to kind of have therapy sessions throughout the process. I would say writing a memoir for anyone is about 10 years of therapy because it's not just saying, Hey, revisit a difficult time. It's not just saying, Hey, Amy, let's talk about your birth. It's what was the color of the room? How are you feeling? What was the doctor's name? What time was it? Was there music playing? What did it smell like? Those details are what make a story interesting. Of course. Yeah. And so for me, it wasn't enough to just go back to my church I needed to get videos of the church. I needed to understand the colors of the Bibles that I would pull apart under my bed. I wanted to grab a hold of the rosary that I slept with in my hands. I wanted I wanted access to all those things. And when you have access to those, you're transported back to that time. And that yeah. can be really difficult, especially if you buried a lot of that like deep yeah. into the bottom of your belly. And so when I recorded the audiobook. I am a trained actor and I went to school for theater. So I do know how important it is to just give over to raw emotion. And they want that with your audiobook. They're not yeah. interested in you cutting when you're crying too hard. They want you to just keep going. If, it, if it's hard for you, keep talking. And that clip that I uploaded was me, you know, experiencing the moment I held Stella for the first time. Yeah. The moment I realized 
for, for such a long time, I had so much intense internalized homophobia inside of me that I told myself, I convinced myself, I made it a personality trait that I could never be a parent. I would make fun of any gay person who wanted to be a kid. I used to constantly say, I got to get out of parenting jail free card to suppress the fact that all I wanted in the world was to be a dad. Yeah. And so when I held Stella for the first time, of course, all of that came up for me. I was holding her and going, oh my God, you lied to yourself all along. You tried to pretend you didn't want this when this was the only thing you wanted. Yeah. And so to write that, about that and then read it, of course, the emotions flew. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and did you, um, are there any chapters in the book where you had to talk to, you know, friends or family and be like, is this okay for me to publish or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not only that, but you also had to get it legally approved by certain people, depending on what I say. Yeah, and, did you change names? Uh, and because it's a memoir, almost everyone has their, their full name that's yep. real. Um, every person that's mentioned, I reached out to and got confirmation that they were okay with it. And I provided them with all of the words, the final words. Every single person said yes. Every single person was comfortable with it. Whether they were written about favorably or not, I think most people understand that it's my perspective of my life. Yeah. And I'm a nice person. Like I'm not trying of to course. I'm not trying to drag anyone through the mud. It's more about education. The only time we changed the name um, was like when there was personal details about people that were just a flash in the pan, like a girl I met at a baby bounce class that yeah. I never ever saw again. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think I remember, I'm pretty sure I know her name, but also I don't know where she is. I don't know. She might be yeah. uncomfortable. I couldn't get access to her. In those cases, we changed the names and there's little asterisks in the book. So people know that that's a changed name. I do mention a lot of like people in my book, but I, because I changed the name, is that safe? Like, does that um, protect me? Yeah. It does Definitely. because I've never meant I've don't mentioned their names at all, and sometimes a lot of the thing again I'm writing from my own perspective and my own truth. Yeah, but I think to myself if they read that they might have an issue with it. It's interesting. I mean, every publishing house will go through a legal process at yes. the end, and yeah. they come to you and okay. they say, "Here's who needs to be changed and why." But at the end of the day, it's my, it was my perspective and my story, and there were names they wanted to change that I wasn't comfortable changing. Okay. Uh, ex-boyfriends that I was like, yeah. I'd rather reach out to them and get confirmation and have in writing because oh I just wanted it. And then there were other parts of the book that I wanted to tell that publishers assisted me in saying, this actually isn't necessary. Like you might be writing out of spite here instead of this doesn't actually push the narrative yeah. forward. And that's what is beneficial about having a publishing house to assist you. Yeah, exactly. And did you get Josh to read it as you were writing it or just at the end? So he was the second person to read it. Um, my manager read it first. I wanted someone who like wasn't so involved and personal, yeah. but because I'm telling our story through my perspective, I had to get permission from him just to do it at all. It's our story, of our course. love story, yeah. the day we met, intimate details of our relationship, intimate details about fights we've had in yeah. detail, emails yep. back and forth. Like I got it all. Yep. And so I needed him to be on board with that. He's also a writer, a very yeah. good writer. And so he might want to tell these stories one day in his own way. And so we agreed early on that he was not going to be involved in the writing process, yeah. that I could tell my story in its totality without approval, that he would come along at the end and read everything, which he has. He was the second one. And then he would provide his perspective when he felt that the details might be wrong. Yep. Never how it was perceived, yep. never emotion, but he'd be like, actually... It was this day, not that day. The time's a little off. Okay. Or I actually know for a fact I was wearing this because I found this picture for you. Oh, my God. You went into, like, specific oh, yeah. out clothing details yeah. and everything. That's so good. Just, like, 
that was what was interesting about sharing it with some of the people written about is you go and share it and they go, oh, I don't have six kids, I have five. They're like, <laughs> oh shit. Or like that actually, that totally happened exactly how you remember it, but it wasn't June, it was definitely January. Oh, and you're like, okay. okay. So I think writing it from your perspective is really important. And this that's why the publisher said, write it in full, just go, yep. write it, dump it out there, tell your story, then we'll go back and we'll make tweaks. I just think it is such an accomplishment and it's obviously something, sorry, I'm just reading the back of it. And it's Mm -hmm. something that like your kids will read one day and anybody can read it, right? Is it something that, um, has your mum and dad read it yet? You know, what's interesting is uh, I sent a bunch of the pages to my parents and they were like, we'll wait until it's printed. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting. Um, I had to basically talk to my parents every single week for nine months during the writing process to, to uncover details. Yeah. And so they're, they're definitely aware. I think there's some nervous energy yeah. that they're experiencing, that my brother's experiencing, that my sister's experiencing. Even my best friend, Joe, who I write about in the book um, throughout almost like every major chunk of the book, it would be really weird to have stories of your intimate relationships mm. put out in the world. And I understand that. Yep. I had like a very specific vision When I was Mm -hmm. writing this book, I wanted a book that did not exist for me. That still doesn't exist. There is not a book in this country that tracks the parenting journey from start to finish for queer people. And so to have an opportunity to write that, I knew very early on that that was going to require me to be like brutally honest. And that in some cases, some people in my life who I love are going to have some of their dirty laundry aired. And I understand that that's weird. And my mom said to me, how would you feel if the tables were turned? And I had admitted to her that I might be nervous. So yeah. I understand and I respect their nerves. But what I keep reminding them and myself is like, I'm a good person who tells stories from a good perspective. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not out to get anyone. You're doing a, a huge service to you know gay couples out there. Mm. And you're just telling your journey of how you've gotten to where you are, yeah, right? Exactly. And I think that's what it's all about. Like it's, it's story. Storytelling. That's why people read books, right? Exactly. I, like I love reading. I I don't do it as often as I used to anymore because three kids. Yeah. But I've recently started running myself a bath, and I can smash through books as well. Like I don't, I'm like a speed reader. Yeah. I am so excited to get home and to just power through this. Um, when is your big launch? So the book comes out on June 7th. So actually this will be when this podcast is airing. So congratulations on your launch day. It's today. (laughs) And are you going to do like a little tour of Australia? Are you going to do like maybe Melbourne and Sydney? I'm doing Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. (gasps) I'll go to Melbourne twice, Sydney events twice, and then I'll go to Brisbane to do a signing. I've never actually met my followers before, like ever. It's so So this is going to be really fun. Um, I'm seeing the numbers that are popping up for each of the events. And so they can come. Is it like, a, are you going to be going to different bookstores? Yeah. So there's like uh, in conversation events that are occurring in both on all three cities. Yeah. And so it totally depends what you're comfortable with as like a follower or a guest or a reader. Like, do you want to hear me talk about the book? Then there's an event in Sydney and Melbourne. If you just want to get the book signed and meet me for the first time, you can do that in all three cities. And so that first week is really just about like, podcasts and radio and tv and just getting the message out about the book yeah it's gonna be amazing i'm so excited for you thank you and it's nice that you're um i mean there's lots of people who have written books before but i don't tend to know a lot of them so it's nice having a personal connection to you and our books are very different and they will be but like it'll be nice to watch 
your trajectory and how it goes and what you yeah. do. And yeah. do you think you would write another one? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I have always wanted to be a writer. Really? I've all been working towards that goal. I have seven mapped out, like very specifically <gasps> in order, whether or not the publishers want to go down those paths with me. But I have seven stories in me currently that I need to tell in a long form or in world I would love to continue writing obviously it depends on the success of the first of book of course <laughs> would you do you would be fantastic at kids books as well I reckon I'm interested in that yeah I it's interesting like I've been approached and done some brainstorming in that space I am similar to you am not that PC like I like to go deep and dirty and also my story and yeah. my experience and the stories I want to tell yeah. are not like very kid friendly. Like I wouldn't recommend that your 15 year, 14 year old, you know, read, well, maybe that's not true. Your yeah. 10 year old should be reading this book, but like they can handle yeah, yeah, it by yeah. their teenage years. But oh. yeah, all the stories I want to tell are not in the kid's space. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, the fact that you've even got seven in you to tell, mm. I can see this being hugely successful. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Mainly I, because there's nothing like this in the space, mm. right? I don't, I've never seen a book like this on any shelf. No. And I, what I say to people when they ask is like, yes, there's a rainbow on the cover. And when you see the title, Not Like Other Dads, you might think, okay, this is obviously a, a queer story about parenthood. But in reality, at the heart of the story is a relationship with my mother and what it was like for her to raise a queer kid and oh, wow. what it was like to, in many ways, lose that child when he moved across the world and what it is like to have a childhood as a queer person in a very straight world. And in many ways, that is really valuable information for any straight parent who yes. might have a child. Doesn't They don't need to be queer. Just any child who's a little bit different. How do you raise a child in a world that is very black and white. Yeah. And so, yes, it is my journey as a queer person, but the nuances of the stories that I tell, I actually have a whole chapter about Charlie Kate Adams, who you know well, um, who is different in her own special yep. way. It's not the same different that I have, but yep. in many ways we experience the world similarly. Yeah. And all the lessons I've learned from being friends with her. And so she's it's incredible. She's so incredible and so inspiring. Such a, it's the chapter is called the advocate, like a whole chapter about just what I learned from being friends with her and bringing all of our children together for play dates. And so, yeah, I guess I, w why I'm hopeful it will reach so much more than just the niche audience of, of queer people is there's a, mostly the lessons are for anyone who's struggling with parenting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's it's all, all of us. us. <laughs> that's every mom. Cause it every really, dad. yep. Actually, we talked about this last time, yeah. so maybe you get 10% of the book. No. Uh, <laughs> but like Done. the parenting script can be rewritten. We fall into traps. We do. Yeah. I remember you telling me about your mom. Like yep. you wake up 30 years in and you're like, am I just doing exactly what my mother did? Am I just doing the laundry and cooking and taking care of the kids and sacrificing my career because that's, because what, that's what I my mom think did. Yeah. you're supposed to do? And so me rewriting the parenting script had to happen because it didn't, there was literally no woman in my house. We had no choice. But after I was finished with the book, I realized like everyone has access to this. Yeah. Everyone has access to this. It is harder if you're a woman. I'm not going to, I won't sugarcoat that. Yeah. I acknowledge there's so much more societal pressure, but 
if I can rewrite the parenting script and make it work for me and my husband, then anyone has access to that gift too. So by reading the book, I think you can also get maybe that we power. Should start, maybe we should start gifting these out to new mums after they've I mean, but birth. honestly, maybe before. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had read this before I went down the journey. Right? So I could have seen all of the rude reality of what happens. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable going into as much detail as I have gone into. So no, like, I'm I'm so for the detail. Yeah. Like the the more raw and vulnerable you are, the more I'm gonna like hoe into it. Yeah. I there's a chapter in the book where I talk about uh, a, a mental breakdown yeah. that I had and being diagnosed with postnatal depression. Is this the one where you take yourself to the airport? Yes. Yeah, we spoke about we this did. last a time. Lot, remember? I, I told you ten percent. That book kickstarted this journey. And I write about that in detail and a couple other parents have read that and come to me and been like the same thing happened to me or I did the same thing, but haven't told anyone. Cause what's interesting is my husband learned about it for the first time reading the book. <gasps> he had no idea. And I didn't want to tell him cause I was so embarrassed. Yeah. I told you and your audience yep. and like, I'm definitely, I've been working up the courage to talk about it a little more, but I do think there's a lot of parents who have suffered, who have thought back, who have that moment where you cringe a little bit at thinking about what what you said or what you did or how you acted. Mm. I think we just, we do it on social media, sometimes performatively where you're just sharing that you had a really bad day, but we don't always feel comfortable being like, I'm embarrassed, but here's the story so that other yeah. people can listen and go, oh my God, I don't need to be as embarrassed. Like parenting yeah. is really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I feel like opening up a narrative with any struggles that you have is only beneficial, but it's, 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 getting yourself to that point where you feel like you can open up, right? Yeah. Because that's the scariest part. Like once you start talking about it, uh, there's an abundance of help from every, you know, from so many different angles. But it's, it, I think the hardest part for most people is is tearing down that wall yeah. and, and starting the conversation. One of the things I was thinking about that's similar between you and me in our writing process is we have similar reputations online where like I'm thought of as funny and silly yeah. and honest and yeah. That's my reputation. Like you go to my page, I call myself an internet clown. Like that's yeah. my whole brand. Yeah. This book is not that. Yeah. <laughs> and so people see Amy and they have like a very particular vision of who you are, which is like, she's funny and she's no, you know, no nonsense and tells it like it is. But there are obviously things that happen behind closed doors that will probably be in your book, like little elements that color and add shade to that. And yeah. that's been something I've been worried about is like, this book is not, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh my God, he's so funny. It's not. So like buckle up because you're going to see a side of me that's very different than my That is so con. funny because that is exactly when I spoke to my editor, I was like, I'll do like 10, 12,000 words and I'll send it over for approval. And that you can just give me a, like a green light, like keep going yeah. or whatever. And I wrote 10, thousand twelve I think I wrote 15,000 words and um I was reading it back and a similar thing I think people assume that like if I write a book it's going to be hilarious and yeah. everyone piss your pants and laugh laugh his head off and the 15,000 words that I've written are not funny at all like mm. maybe there's a slight giggle in the introduction but yeah. The rest of it is all me going very, very deep, again, into my childhood. It's Mine's all about, like, expectations and where your expectations come from yeah. versus, like, how things actually pan out in your yeah. life. Oh, that's um, great. And I even wrote to my editor, I was like, uh, th this is all, like, the – this is all the soppy stuff and the I swear there's funny stuff coming. I swear like there's going to be funny stuff that you're going to laugh at. She was like, no, no, this is great. Anyway, what happened with her was 
I sent all these words and I was like waiting for her reply. Like I gave it a couple of days and then I, I contacted her and I was like, hey, have you had a chance to read over it? Obviously you're an editor, so you would have read it in an hour. Nothing. Ghost town. Yeah. Three weeks. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ridiculous. I'm the shittest writer on earth. I'm yeah. just giving up. I bought a new laptop and everything. Anyway, she came back and she was like, I'm so sorry. I've had COVID and I was like bedridden and my couldn't come to work for two and a half weeks. And anyway, I was like, oh. And she was like, have you have you written any more? And I was like, no, I've been, I've been waiting, waiting for, for you. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to just like throw words of affirmation my way. And she's like, oh, you keep going, babe. Like you've got a great storytelling knack. Like we can edit, tweak things here and there. But like. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've lost my momentum. Oh. And so then I, do you, did you ever lose momentum? Twice. Yeah, two times I took an entire month off. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And I think that's fine. Okay. Like we have to live to be inspired. We have to take breaks and breaths. I think like the creative process, you're a creator, you're a creative person. You can't force yourself to be creative. You have to like create a structure yeah. if you can that allows you to to consistently write. But for me, there were two periods where I was like, I'm just not, I, I've done too much. This has been too hard. It's yeah, too emotional. You've gone too course. deep and you just need time away. And a really good publisher and a really good editing team are going to like factor that into the yep. timelines. Yeah. And I also think like when you take a break and you get that wind back, I don't know about you, but I wrote 15 chapters in three months after thinking I couldn't write ever again. So like yeah. I took a month off and thought this is done. We're I done. reached out to my agent and said, give them the money back. I can't do this. Yeah. And then came back and got the a, a wind so intense that I wrote seven days a week for three months straight and wrote all 15 and edited all the chapters. So I think it's just like, Write yep. when you need to write and yep. you can, and then give yourself a fucking break because this is pretty intense. How many words is this? Uh, I wrote 110,000, and I think it's 80 now. Like, I think we cut out down to 80 something, 85. That is thousand. wild. And where did you get all of these photos from? Did your mom send these over or you've got them? My niece, Leah, who I write about in the book. Um, looks so hot there. <laughs> thanks. Yep. She scanned them all in with my mom. So my mom, what I did was I, when I finished and knew what the chapters were, I kind of wrote a brief for myself of like two or three sentences about like the types of pictures. I know. Don't I look like a porcelain doll? Just the most. <gasps> Are you a dancer there? What are you wearing? I danced for 20 years. But wait, so uh, sorry, we're just looking at the photos in Sean's book. So there's a photo of you here and you're five and you're dancing. Yeah. But wait, I did. I saw also saw a photo of you playing gridiron. Uh, yeah. You get the, get a man who can do both. baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you are uh, a jack of all trades. I dance my oh, whole wow. life. And then I had a relationship with my dad, which is what you're looking at right now, yeah. that exact cha chapter. He's an all-American man, went to college to play sport. So did my sister, so did my brother. My mother was an athlete. And so when you're a dancer, even an elite dancer in a family of like genuine athletes, it's easy to feel less than. And so for me, attempting to have a stronger relationship with my father felt at the time like it needed to be in a sport that he played. Yeah. He was the coach. And so I was like, okay, well I'll try lacrosse. I'll try football. I'm, I'm an athletic kid and it's in my bones. And your blood. But at that time I thought dancing isn't a sport. Yeah. That's the thing that only like, and you just wanted boys. your dad's approval. Yeah. right? And you and, wanted to be close with him. Yeah. And I liked football. I was good at it. I came out of the closet while playing football and had the support of the team. And that really re shaped my entire perspective of, 
masculinity, my relationship to my, to my gender. Um, but also the stereotypes I had in my head about football players and realizing that the stereotypes I had in my head about myself were actually not so dissimilar. Like we all, we all just put each other in boxes. And when I played football and was accepted and was able to be gay in America playing arguably the most masculine sport that exists while also singing the national anthems and being on the dance team, I was like, okay, wait a second. What's holding you back except your own thoughts in your head? Yeah. Not these people. They're not holding you back. They were my protectors. Those, the captain was like, if anyone ever fucks with you, let me know, and we've got them. So I really learned a lot. It was very valuable to play football and dance at the same time. Oh, <laughs> and I write about that. So it's such. <laughs> I am so excited to get home and read it. I'm just really excited to delve into what makes you you. Mm, I'm like specifically excited that's what I say to my friends. People like you are the perfect example of who I want to read it. People who know me, yeah. who've known about me for a lot, you know, five years in your case, I guess, yeah. like how long we've been in each other's live online, who like, we know surface level a lot about each other. Yes. You know, everything about my children that I mm-hmm. choose to share. You know, a lot about what I do professionally. Yep. You know what I choose to tell you on your podcast, but like with a book, you get an opportunity to go so deep into someone's life. And my hope is but all these people who can pick it up are going to understand me more. And so yeah. I don't have to do a lot of that work. And that makes me feel better. You can stop jumping on podcasts. Yeah. Just hand out your book. Hey, I'm Sean, guys. Here's my book. Here's my Read book. it before we chat again. It eliminates small talk. <laughs> yeah. I'll bring it to parties. Read this. It's a good idea. Check back in. All right. Well, I am. Um, I'm very excited for you. Um, happy launch day. Thank you is, so yep. much. And are you just going to quickly duck over to Bali just to now to celebrate? Yep. We're doing a little like a book moon. You know, baby moons. Yes. Yes, that's what it is. Are you doing? Where are you staying? I don't know. My, my husband plans everything with my friends. Oh. Uh, like I don't need. Are don't you going know. over with Josh? No. Or just your best friend? Just my best friend. Just the two of you. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm no so excited. Kids. Just like I, I want, I know now that the book is out, I know what the next two months look like. Like yeah. I know what my calendar looks yeah. like. I know what the schedule is like. And so when I was looking at that, I thought you're going to need some time before to just chill out, be with yourself. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of anxiety also wrapped around this. Do you feel nervous? Yeah, I definitely do. There are parts yeah. of this book where I go a lot deeper than I would have ever thought I would have ever shared with anyone, including my own family. But do you feel proud of yourself? I'm really proud of myself. I think when I finished, I thought if you can do this, if you can carve out the time while raising a kid and having a full-time job to make this happen, um, then like what else can't you achieve kind of thing. And like my family, like my husband really like stepped up his game to allow this to happen because writing a book and the time it takes means you make a ton of sacrifices. Yeah. And so, yeah, at the end, I was just proud of myself and proud of my family structure, learned a lot about myself. So at the end of the day, I actually don't care who reads it yeah. because I'm like, this is honestly a decade worth of therapy. So yeah. like, if you finish the book and no one reads your book, you will have worked through and written that down. I actually, I actually, uh, when I was telling my mom and dad about it, the book that I'm writing, I literally said to them, this isn't like a moneymaker thing for me. This is purely a passion project because I love writing. Yeah. I love storytelling and if not anything else, I just, I want to be able to say to my kids, Hey, 
I've written a book and exactly. you can read it one day and ignore all the swear words. And <laughs> I, I really wanted to do a chapter on sex, but like I also didn't want to send my dad to an early grave. So yeah. I've left that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That I just, can be the second book when the kids are, when the kids <laughs> so are we'll older. see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. You're killing it. Thank and you you're so doing much. so many good things in, you know, this space, this special space of yours. And I just think, I think every parent should read this. I haven't even read it. You heard it here first. I I haven't even read it yet, but I just, I know it's going to be good. Thank you. Because you have a way of just speaking and telling your story, and I think it's fantastic. And I'm very excited to read it. And I'm going to go home and run myself a bath night. I want to start reading it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Always. Just us, me and you. Um, And I hope you have a fantastic time in Bali. I'm going to give you a list of places to go. Please. Um, We did a couple of girls' days and there are some fantastic places to eat. Okay. I'll have to tell you where I'm going because I don't even know right now. Unless you're going to like Ubud and you're staying in like a rainforest. We're not going on the edges. We're not like... Doing like the beachy side. You're inland? We're going inland. Like in the rice fields? Yeah, which Josh and I have done before. We've done everything. We've done like Ubu. We've done the in fields. We've done the beach on the side. But I think we're in. I think we're in. Yeah. Well, the nanny that I had, also fantastic. Um, If you ever go over there with kids, get by Anne. She would show me videos of where she would live. And she's studying to become a priest. And she's also a healer. So people would come and stay with her. And they would stay outside underneath the stars in these rice fields. And, oh, my God, it looked sensational and i feel like that's that's like that book eat love pray right like after she goes is it bali she goes somewhere tropical and i feel like you just need to go and that's what i want that's what i want right i've done the like it's fun to do touristy things i love kind of like the nice cocktails and the nice food on a beach that's beautiful but also we live in sydney yeah you can do (laughs) that we have the best beaches in the world i last time i went to bali which would have been before kids maybe like eight years ago we had a tour guide, like a driver each day. And Josh would ask the simple question, like, um, where would you take your family to eat? And he's like, what are you talking about? We don't go places to eat. Like I'd eat at my mom's house. Do you want to come? Yeah. We like went to his mom's house and he's like, do you want to see a rice patty? My uncle owns one. He's working today. Do you want to go work on one? And then we just like went with him. The the Balinese culture is similar to Fijian. Like they're very nice, accepting, family-focused kind of people. They'll welcome you into their home. And so I think the the off-the-beaten-path part of the trip will probably give me that like peace I need. Like I can get the other stuff here. Absolutely. You can. No, I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm Well, good luck writing your book, girl. I'm sending you positive vibes. I am. Um, I'm basically doing it after the kids go to bed, so I'm like jumping on at eight p.m. and then I'm writing till like one in, one a.m. in the morning. Oh wow! I, it's not. It's quite counterproductive because then I'm dog shit the next day. No. But yeah, I'll find. I'll but find like, some use sort of me as a resource because through the process, editing. I had a couple authors in my back pocket that I would Mm. like call when I was having mental breakdowns. It's such a unique craft. Yeah. It's actually really terrible. It's like so hard (laughs) to make the time to have the motivation to continue to write all of that. But then the editing process and the proofing process and the typesetting process where they're like picking apart your words, that can be hard too. Mm -hmm. And I think just knowing that there are other people who have gone through it, especially a memoir that's unique. It's unique to tell your story and to have people come in and go... Can you tell that story uh, differently? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Less I was going to say, did you, did you get a lot of feedback like that? Like, or re- like, can you do this chapter again? So I'm going to just be brutally honest. Yeah. Why not? This is like the first real chat about the book. I was asked to rewrite half the book. 
Oh. I was asked to rewrite half of it. Why? So basically I wrote it in chronological order from when I was born until the kids were born. Yep. Their idea, which in the moment I was sure that they were complete idiots, terrible monsters out to get me. Um, I have now realized since finishing the book that they were 100% right is that the book needed to start with me as an adult yep. going on the parenting journey and have my childhood as backstory. Yeah. And that meant that the first 10 chapters had to go. Now, of course, a couple thousand words from each of those chapters was kept. Mm -hmm. And I believe with every ounce of my being that those 10 chapters will see the light of day in a different book at yes. a different time. One of the seven that's yeah, still hey, in you. Exactly. Yeah, literally. And so for them to kind of be like, you know, you've just written for six months. It's been really traumatic and it's the most emotional parts of the book, but we need you to basically scrap those start from chapter 11. And that, that was incredibly hard humbling humbling because you believe that everything you've done is perfect mm -hmm. i really believed it was the book of a lifetime mm -hmm. i was like pulitzer prize winning <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> but it's humbling to have someone who's done it for 25 years yep. to say this will be more powerful it will connect more with people if you start here if you do it this way i believe you i needed to write those 10 mm -hmm. because right weaving them in his backstory was easier because they had been written yeah i already understood the emotion yep. But yeah, that was incredibly hard. And I, I went to an event at HarperCollins. They do like an author day yep. where they bring all the authors who are going to be published in that year to a session. And all of the published authors were up on a panel talking about the editing process. And everyone in that specific panel had a really great time. I love the editing process. What a gift to have an editor. And it brought me such joy. And here I am sitting in the audience two days, <laughs> two days after finding out I had to rewrite half the book. And yeah. I just thought, they're successful. I'm a failure. No. But the process yeah. of working with an editor is a gift. Yeah. You have a vision of your story, mm -hmm. and these people understand the masses. The book is not for you or me. It's yeah. not my book anymore. It's yours. You're yeah. the reader. It's about you. And so how can I make sure that it's easier for you? How yeah. can I make sure it's more enjoyable for you? Yep. And so that was just humbling. And I think that's nice. That's why the way that you're doing it is preferred. I wish that I had just like written a chunk, sent it off, yeah. gotten a green light, gotten some feedback, written some chunk. But that's not how my journey went. Yeah, of course. I actually have a Skype call tomorrow and, oh no, well, Friday and I just, I've sent a few more words off and I'm just like, oh, I just, I, I, I'm bracing myself for this because I have heard this from a few people that you do, like you can write for so much and you think that it's a beautifully written piece and then yeah. they can be like, yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. Try again. So it's more like structural versus the actual writing, right? Yeah. For them, it wasn't, they're like, you're a great writer. Those 10 chapters are beautiful. We're not yeah. saying that they're not. They're Let's perfect. Reposy them. Let's yeah. Position them throughout the book differently. Yeah. And okay. you and I have picked up books before where we've been like, this isn't working for me and you just stop reading it. So their job is to like prepare for that. That is so you. true because there's more often than not, I always say if within the first two chapters, they don't hook my attention, I'm I won't out. continue I'm reading. I'm yeah. absolutely at, or if I feel there's inconsistency. Yeah. And what's also interesting, a lot of people who read the book will know me. But yeah. a, that's a small percentage of yeah. the total distribution. Because, yep. right, my book will be in Big W and Dimmicks and, uh, you know, whatever. All of the beautiful places that sell books all around this country. And so people are just going to be walking, strangers, and pick it up. They don't know who Sean Zeps is. Yeah. They don't follow me on Instagram. Yeah. And so in many ways, the first draft was written as if a lot of people knew me because mm. I just thought of my own little world, I, I, my, I my followers. I exactly right there with you. Would you would, did you ever thought to think about having your face on the cover? Yeah, we talked a little bit about yeah. like, are we driving f just the fact that some people might recognize you? It's on the back. And so I think when people pick it up and they flip yeah. it over, there is a small percentage of people who will go, I've seen him before on 
Instagram yeah. or TV or whatever. You're the real funny guy on Instagram. You're the gay dad who makes people laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic content hey, on Instagram. And I'll let, I'll let them with that picture. But it ended up being, for me, more about... I, you'll get to do this. The cover process is really fun, but you have designers who do like a full analysis of what the industry looks like at the time, what oh, the yeah, landscape cool. of your specific, your category and mine will be the same. So like it sits a little bit in biography, memoir, mm-hmm. but it also can stretch into parenting. Like yeah. it can it sit in that part. Um, I'm very excited. And I, I, I don't like saying very proud because that sounds like weirdly condescending because but I am like, I, I know in the short, tiny couple of months that I've been doing, it, I know that it is so time consuming. So like as a friend, like it's a, I'm proud. Thank like you. I'm really proud. Oh, I appreciate I'm proud that. that you got to the end. And I think that it's, um, it's going to be received so well. And I hope, I'm, I'm, oh, I, hope. I hope Barley's amazing for you. And <laughs> I hope you don't get Barley belly Me too. and, um, let's catch up outside of the pod. We, we can, can just that. have like a, I don't know, maybe you're drinking herbal teas now or no. Wine. 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 (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'll put Sean's book name in all the show notes so you can go and grab it. Where is it? Big W, Dimmocks, where else? Online. Booktopia. Booktopia. I mean, yes. I mean, I feel like that's most bookstores. Booktopia and Dimmocks are the big main ones, right? Yeah, you'll be able to. You can find it in all the bookstores, I think. We'll put a link to where you can buy it. Exactly. All right. We'll love you and leave you. Thank you you. so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Mwah.